Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. It's always good to spend some time focusing on the author and perfecter of our faith and the reason why we're all here in the first place. So, here we go. Uh, Lisa and I have been married for 24 years. <coughs> I know, you're thinking, did you get married when you were 10? Yes, that's right. Yes, I did. I got married when I was 10. Um, yeah, we've been married for 24 years. This is, uh, this is a photo of, of us on the day. I know, we've not changed at all. To be fair, Lisa hasn't changed at all, but I definitely look older. That's right. Thank you for all the people going, no, no, you don't, Nick. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank, thanks for your support, everyone. Yeah, at that point, that was a point for you to not be quiet, but you missed your cue. It's too late now. Yeah, so I um, don't know if you know how weddings work. <laughs> uh, so I was there at the church waiting, stood at the front with my best man, and, uh, and everybody else was in the building waiting for the bride to arrive, and she was late. She was late. It wasn't her fault, though. I did say, I'm going to tell this story, love, but I'm not going to throw you under the bus, because it wasn't her fault. You see, what happened was, <clears throat> her bridesmaids got ready, and they were all excited about being at the wedding, so they went, and uh, Lisa hadn't finished sorting her dress out. And the only person left in the house was her dad. And he had big fat fingers, so he couldn't do her dress up properly at the back. And so because of that, Lisa was late to our wedding. Our first, our first very important um, occasion together, and she was late. And um, I don't know what happens in your head if you ever imagine this kind of thing, but imagine you're waiting for someone to arrive, and they're waiting. And you think... It's not like we're, we're meeting for a coffee. This is quite important. And you're waiting. It's not good. But the way that weddings work in the UK, well, in the Western world, really, is that you have everybody gathers together, and everybody's waiting in the building, and then the bride arrives, and it, it's like a moment, isn't it? The music starts, whatever music you've decided to play. People have all sorts of crazy tracks at the moment. Whatever music you've decided to play, everybody stands up, and everybody is, is in hushed tones. Somebody stand in the front and say, please stand for the bride or something like that. It's all about the bride. Yeah? I'm not bitter. It is all, it's all, it's all about the bride. And then the music starts and the bride walks down. And everyone's like, oh, she looks lovely. Because of course she looks lovely. And the bride walks down and looking resplendent and it is amazing. That's not how Jewish weddings work, though. Jewish weddings were, in biblical times, a little bit different, and I believe in, in today's time is a little bit different, because it's not about the bride so much. So in biblical weddings, what would happen, weddings in Bible times, is marriages would be arranged. <coughs> it's not necessarily because two, two kids fell in love and went to see their parents and said, we'd like to get married. Usually it would be because this would be a good thing for these two families to be connected in some way. So marriages would be arranged. And uh, the groom and the, and the father of the groom, they would arrive at the bride's house for what was called the betrothal. It's a great word. Why don't we use words like that anymore? The betrothal. Basically, the engagement. So they would arrive at the house, and the, the groom's father would, 
would pay a dowry. It wasn't called a dowry, but he would pay a sum of money, or it could be a gift, or it could be some land, or it could be some services. He would offer this for the bride. So he was basically paying a price for the bride. The bride would agree to this. They'd have a little ceremony. The bride would agree to this, and then these two people would be engaged. And then the groom-to-be would say to the bride-to-be, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. It's all sounding a bit familiar, isn't it? So the groom would say that to the bride-to-be, and then he would leave. And the whole idea was he would go back to his father's house, and in his father's house, he would build an extra room for him and his wife to live in. And that would be what he would spend the next few months, maybe even up to a year doing, preparing a room in his father's house for him and his new bride. And then when time was ready, he would go back. But the thing was, the bride-to-be would not know when he was coming. There wasn't like, in three months, I'll be back. It could be any time. So the bride had to be ready. So the groom and his family would go back to the bride's house, bride-to-be's house, keep calling her the bride. She's not properly married yet. The bride-to-be's house, they would go back. And because it could happen at any time, they would announce that they were coming with the sound of a trumpet or with a shout. It's very exciting, isn't it? Sound of a trumpet or a shout. Can you imagine waiting for the groom to come back? You're all excited. There's a shout. He's on his way. Woo! This is it. It's about to happen. And they would arrive. They would collect the bride. They would have the ceremony. They would go back to the father's house. And that couple would then be married and be together living in the groom's father's house in a room that the groom prepared. Does any of that sound familiar? It does, because when Jesus was talking about coming again, when he was talking about the way that we live, a lot of the times he used illustrations or he used a context that the people in that time were familiar with, and he used this idea of the groom and the bride and all of that stuff. He used that a lot to explain that he is the groom and that we as his church are the bride, and he is preparing a place for us. And he is coming again. Today we're talking about that. Jesus is coming again. He is. And we need to be reminded of that. Because he is coming again. And do you know why he is coming again? Because he said so. <laughs> he said he is. That is enough. He said he is coming again. And we need to be aware of the fact that he is coming again. He said he is going to prepare a place for us. That where he is, there we may be also. He said that to his disciples in John chapter 14. And sometimes we have this idea that Jesus is coming and, um, and it's, become a, it's become a bit of a joke, really. It's become a bit of a meme. Let's have that on the screen. So you may have seen this. Jesus is coming. Look busy. Look busy. Look like you're doing something. Because you might get caught out. You might get, Jesus might turn up and you might not be working. You might not be looking like you're busy. But actually, joking aside, there are some things that we need to be aware of because Jesus is coming again. We can be tempted to fill our lives with things that make us look busy or things that make us actually busy. 
And all the activity can make us look like we're productive and we're spiritual and, and we're, we're doing well. But are we actually doing what Jesus has asked us to do? Let's look at some scripture together. Matthew chapter 25. <coughs> Matthew 25. Jesus is in the middle of having a conversation with his disciples about his return. And he uses lots of stories in quick succession to highlight the point that he is coming again and that we need to be aware of the fact that he is coming again. In Matthew 25, he tells the parable of the ten virgins, it's called. And let me read it to us. He says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who take their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. I'm going to stop there and tell you how this works. So I told you how the bride and the groom thing worked. The groom would go and, and they'd get engaged and then he'd go back and prepare a, a place for the bride in his house. And then on the way back, he would take some friends with him. He'd tell some friends, this is what's happening. Yeah, I'm going to get, the, I'm going to get her now. I'm going to get her. I'm going to bring her back and then we're going to have the ceremony. It's going to be amazing. So this is what's happening. And they would, they would be prepared and usually they would be young women and they would have lamps. The reason they would have lamps is usually when the groom went to get his bride, it would be night time. I don't know if it'd lend a bit of mystery to the whole thing, a bit of excitement. Everything looks cool in the dark, doesn't it? You've got lamps and stuff. It's like, ooh, fairy lights in the daytime, they look rubbish. But nighttime, they look amazing. So maybe that was why. And so he'd have these, he'd have these friends who would wait for him so that when he's on the way back, they would have their lamps and it would be like a bit of a, you know, way. The bride and the groom, here they are. It'd be a bit of a celebration moment. So here we have. So Jesus was making this story up. He was telling the story as a parable, but he was using real things, yeah? Sorry. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, a cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, Jesus says, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. There's lots about Jesus' return that we don't know. But here's what we do know. He is coming again. He is coming again. And my question is this, do our lives reflect what we believe about Jesus's return? Do we live like we're thinking that Jesus is going to come again? Or has it become something that just we've kind of put to the back of our minds, something that, you know, we, we mention it in church every now and again, or we sing it in a hymn every now and again. It comes up in a song, somebody may say it, but we don't actually think about the fact that Jesus is coming again. <coughs> so how should we live? We should live with eternity in mind. He's coming again. 
we don't know when, and I couldn't find anything else to rhyme for the next line. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. If I had one point to make today, and in fact, I worked hard to get more points, but Jesus kept bringing me back to this. We need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. A long time ago, I'm sorry for the story. A long time ago, I apologize. It's not good when you apologize before you tell the story. A long time ago, I was about seven or eight. I really hope I was about seven or eight. And uh, I had a friend who was coming over to visit. Her name was Nandi. And she was coming to visit. This is when I lived in, in Guyana in South America. I knew she was coming, but I hadn't really thought about the fact that she was coming. When you're seven or eight, you don't really process all of this kind of stuff, do you? You're bothered about your, your um, what were they called? Hot Wheels. Had cars. Hot Wheels, yeah. So, uh, so I was playing with my Hot Wheels cars, and my mom came in. She said, Nandy is coming over. You need to get yourself ready. I'm like, okay, mom. She went off to do some washing. I carried on playing with my Hot Wheels because this is important, these Hot Wheel cars. My mom comes in. She says, I've told you, you need to get ready. Nandy is coming over. I said, okay, mom. She went out. I very obediently disobeyed, carried on playing with my cars. So my mom comes in for the third time. At this point, she's livid with me because she's asked me to get ready. She says, you need to have a shower. Nandy's coming over. I said, I know. My mom leaves. I carry on playing with my cars. My mom comes in. She has really had it now. My mom is angry with me. My mom is quite short. She's smaller than I am. But she's Welsh and scary when she gets angry. So she probably got angry with me and made me take my clothes off to go and have a shower. And she waited for me to do that. So I did that. And then she left. And I carried on playing with my cars. So now I'm stalkers. And I'm playing with my cars. And Nandy arrives. <laughs> the door opens. And in walks my friend. And I am naked. Playing with my Hot Wheels cars. On the living room floor. This is why I'm grateful I was seven or eight. Definitely, that's how young I was. I freaked out. Nandy freaked out. Everyone is screaming. I ran, out. I ran out of the room as fast as I could. We never spoke of it again. Never spoke of it again. What was the issue? I was not prepared. I was not prepared. And here's a word for some of us today. You need to get some clothes on. Jesus is coming again. You need to get some clothes on. Some of us are living in a way that we're just not prepared. We're just hanging around playing with Hot Wheels, stalkers, when actually we need to get some clothes on. Colossians chapter 3 says this. <coughs> the whole, in fact, I'll read a lot of it, really, but the bits that I want to point out is verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. These are things you need to put on. Clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's a list of things, and I did think at some point this would make a great series, put some clothes on. There's a list of things that we're told to put on, to put on, put on humility. How do we put on humility? 
Do we think less of ourselves? <laughs> Rick Warren says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourselves. This isn't, no, oh, 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 not me, no, not me. We're really good at false modesty as British people. I just want you to know that. No, oh, no, no, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly. I've had people in my house who were thirsty but wouldn't ask for a drink because, oh, no, no, I just, I didn't want to be any trouble. I mean, seriously, if I come to your house and I'm thirsty, you will be giving me a drink. And if I, and if I don't ask you for one, I'll go and get one myself. Yeah, because that's how it works. But sometimes we can have this kind of, oh, no, I don't want to cause too much trouble. Oh, no, no, it's not about me. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no. That's not humility. That's false modesty. And sometimes that is worse than pride because it looks like it's humility, but actually it isn't. But Colossians, Paul writing to Colossians says here, we need to clothe ourselves with humility. Put on humility. Put on gentleness is a word for me. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Patience is one of those things that, that we never pray. Well, let me encourage you. Never ask God to give you patience. Don't do it. Just, just live the way you are. Just accept your life the way that it is. Because patience can only be learned through hardship, through hard times, through difficult circumstances. That's how you learn to be patient. Patient is something you learn. It's not a download. It'd be great if you could just say, can I have this? Mm, there we go. Downloaded. It's working. It's fine. It'd be great if that's the way it worked, but it doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't work like that. But here, the writer to Colossians, our dear brother Paul, <laughs> says, put on patience. We have to be prepared. We have to live our lives in a way that when the master arrives, we are ready. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 25 that I just read, just previously, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he gives them another illustration. He says this, <coughs> from verse 42, Matthew 24, it says, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Just like the, the bride and the groom in Jewish times, the bride did not have a clue on what day the, the groom would come back for her. But we have to keep watch because we don't know. And people will go through Revelation, they'll go through Isaiah, they'll go through ancient books, and, and they will have this, this little chart that they've done, and I've seen these, and, you know, working out all oh, this and yeah, this is when Jesus is going to, nobody knows. In fact, Jesus himself said, nobody knows. He says it right here. No one knows. You do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let him break into his house. So you must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. It could be now. That would have been a good moment, wouldn't it? That would have been a good moment. It could be right now. It could be. Or now. I'm not going to carry on doing that, but... We must be ready. Who then is the faithful and wise servant Jesus carries on? Whom is the master, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them the proper food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds them doing so when he returns. He says, who's the guy who's in charge of feeding everyone in the house? When the master comes back, it's good if the guy who was in charge of feeding everyone is actually feeding everyone. It's good if when the master comes back, 
The people who are supposed to be doing stuff are doing stuff, is what he says. It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus goes straight into the story about the ten virgins. So Jesus is coming again. And it is serious. It is serious that Jesus is coming again because there's an expectation that we live in a way that we are ready for Jesus, for Jesus' return. There's an expectation that we live in a way that says, I'm ready for you, Lord. There's an expectation that when he comes, we are that good servant who is doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, saying the things that we're supposed to be saying, being in the places that we're supposed to be, so that when Jesus comes, there, is no, there are no surprises. There's just, ah. You're here, rather than, oh no, you're here. We don't, we don't want to be the, oh no, you're here. We want to be the, ah, you're here. Ah, you're here. I did a, a conference once with some young people, and they got a guy in who uh, came to do some training, and he was talking about, he was a military guy. He was a little bit scary, actually, and he was doing a lot of shouting and and that kind of stuff. He was lovely, but he was, he was doing the shouty bits of the young people. It was a, a kind of a, a conference for young people. <coughs> and we noticed that he had a suitcase in his room that he didn't unpack. He had two bags. He had like one of those um, rucksack things that military people have, and he had a suitcase that he didn't unpack. And so we were talking to him, what is, what's in the case? Because we thought like he was going to have, I don't know, some, some horrible things to do to these young people, which would be great fun. Uh, we thought that maybe he had some, some prizes or something nice. But he said, that's my case. So we're like, what? What, what? what do you mean, that's your case? He says, that's my case. He said, at any point, I could be called, and that's my case. At any point, I could be called, and I could be sent to any part of the world, and that is my case. He lived, and it was a, it was a phrase I've never forgotten. He says, I have to live in a continual state of readiness. A continual state of readiness. Because when I'm on duty, when I'm in this time period where they may need me, I have to be ready to go at any point. And so he always had a case that was packed with the stuff that he needed. So wherever he was in the UK, wherever he was, if he got the phone call, he had his case, he was off immediately. Now, if people can do that for a job, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is coming. And we need to live in a continual state of readiness. Now, when I grew up, when I grew up, and, and again, we've talked about this before, and I'm coming into land. We talked about this before where sometimes as a church, and I don't mean life church, I mean globally as a church, we kind of hone in on one thing sometimes. And it gets a little bit like we've honed in on one thing for too long. And then people realize we're, we're banging on about this a little bit too much. We need to back off. And then we back off. And then we backed off too far. And then we need to correct again. And so we're, we're kind of swing from, from, from idea to idea sometimes. And I think those things are good. But I knew when I was growing up, there was a, there was a lot of emphasis on the Lord coming again. But it wasn't an emphasis of Jesus is coming again. This is amazing. It was Jesus is coming again, and we were terrified. 
because that's the way that it was portrayed. Jesus is coming again. We were terrified that Jesus was coming again. And so there were rules. And when you think about it now, it is hysterical, really. But these were serious rules about where we shouldn't be and places that we shouldn't go to because you didn't want Jesus to come again and find you at a party. I mean, heaven forbid that you were enjoying yourself when the Lord returned. Yeah, but that was a serious rule for young people. Don't, don't be going to parties. What if, what if the Lord returns was the thing. And, and I, as a young man, I was terrified until I started to think about these things. I had lots of conversations with people who were older than me about Bible stuff when I was a young person. Because I'd get to the point in my head where I'd think, this doesn't make sense. So I can't go to a party because I might be surrounded by sinners. And, and apparently other people determine what happens to me when Jesus comes. But I'm okay to go to the marketplace. Can I go to the market? Yeah, of course you can. But I'm surrounded by sinners there as well. So what do I do? What do I do? What do I do now? No answer for me, have you? Hey, no answer. I wasn't that cheeky. I'm cheeky now because I'm here. I'm brave and they're far away. But it doesn't make any sense. And so the whole Jesus is coming again used to have that sense of fear. But let me tell you something. The only reason you need to be afraid of Jesus coming again is if you don't know him. If you don't live for him, those are reasons to be afraid. But if you know Jesus, if you walk with Jesus, if you, if you have said, I will follow you, Jesus, this is not something to be afraid about. This is something to be excited about and something to look forward to and something to shape your life around because it will happen and it will be glorious. It will happen and it will be glorious. Titus refers to Jesus' second coming as our glorious expectation and hope. I mean, that's amazing. It is amazing. So be prepared is what I want to leave you with today. Be prepared, be hopeful, but examine, be, examine your life so that you are where you know you should be. Your relationship with him is where you know it should be because he is coming again. Let's bow our heads for a moment. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.